Well, hello, new life, Manitou. I'm glad to see all of you this morning. My name is Brett. I'm one of the pastors with New Life. Uh, it's good to see all of you this morning. Um, we are, uh, oh, and happy Father's Day to if you are a father or if you know a father or if you have a father. Let's all, <laughs> I think that's all of us. We can all celebrate fathers here in the room today. The human race continues to go on and on and on by the siring of children. That's, <laughs> I just use the word siring. That's why I stick to my notes most of the time. Um, so um, glad to see all of you. Let's... Um, Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, we are grateful that you have come among us and you have shown us our Father. You have shown us the one who says to every single one of us, you are my child whom I love and you I am well pleased. Father, help us to hear that word being spoken over us by grace this morning. Help us to believe it. And may the love that is just overflowing in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, may it spill out into our lives and into our families and into the, our neighborhoods and into this city for the sake of the world. So we ask you to come and speak right now by the power of your spirit. Um, I've got words prepared, but they don't raise the dead. And that's what we need. We need somebody to fill us up with new life this morning. And so come and speak right now because your children are listening. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. So we are in a summer series called How Do I? Question mark. Who typed a question mark on the teleprompter? Um, it was like there it ends with a question mark right there. Somebody got it. Um, we, we live in a golden age of being able to find out how to do just about anything with these supercomputers that we carry around in our pockets. You just ask Google, you ask YouTube, and bam, there it is. If you want to know how to insulate your attic, you want to know how to get the best way to rid your lawn of dandelions, you want to know how to make your own Play-Doh for whatever reason, like all of it is there. All of it's there online just for the picking. And so we're working our way through the book of Proverbs this summer, um, and we're asking some of the biggest how do I questions that all of us ask in all of our lives. Questions um, that don't really have easy answers according to YouTube or eHow or, you know, wiki articles or whatever. You know, how do I manage my money? Like, what does it look like to be faithful with the resources given to me? What, how do I enjoy my life? How do, how do I cultivate friendships? And today, on Father's Day, we are asking, how do I find a true love is what we're talking about today. Because this longing for romance and love, don't kid yourselves, men in the room. Truly being known by another person, uh, um, that is, and knowing another person, that is not just a girl thing. That's not just, that's the longing, that's not the longing of one particular gender or of this young lad right here who's coming, e even though it is embedded within his heart too. Um, it is the longing of every human heart um, in the room. Um, for example, like I 
too was a young lad at one point. We can actually, uh, I'm right there on the screen right there, the boy on the left. Uh, I know, I know that you can give it up for that. <laughs> Pity applause. Um, that, that's me. And next to me, next to my nine-year-old self is Natalie Thomas. Man, oh man, that kid was crazy for Natalie Thomas. So a little behind-the-scenes uh, information about this picture. Um, I'm actually standing on my tiptoes um, in this picture. If I look particularly intense in the face, it's because I'm trying to smile while standing because Natalie is actually like, I don't know, a couple inches taller than me at this point. We're both like nine, <laughs> nine years old or ten. Um, I think my mom took the photo, and so I'm trying. And, and it's the kind that you took with, like, film. Like, there's not unlimited retakes. And so she counted like three, two, one, and I'm like quick on my tiptoes. <laughs> and I just imagined that one day when Natalie and I were married and we were showing this photo to our children and to our grandchildren, they would know that their dad was always taller than uh, the mom. Uh, so that's the story behind it. Um, for years, dear Natalie, it was um, my you guys have this experience too. Um, you have somebody that like captured your attention, your imagination, and for my childhood years, and even on into my like teenage years, she was like the gold standard in my imagination for what true love would look like one day. Um, we've all experienced this. Um, usually when we're younger, we're a little bit more transparent and open about it. Um, we dream of that other person that other, whoever it is, that boy, that girl, that person, that would complete us. Um, and as a culture, we put a whole lot of weight on finding this right relationship, don't we? we like, it's, just, it's just like the water that we swim in in our culture. My generation in particular grew up um, seeing the Disneyfication. I just made that up. Disneyfication of, of love. It's like Ariel and Aladdin and, and Simba. I mean, the freaking lion got to find his true love from a young... And so from a young age, I too am like looking for true love. It's like, tale as old as time, song as old as rhyme. Bliss comes with a mate, is what we all believe. Oh, thank you, thank you. We, we, like, we believe this, that like bliss, final, ultimate, complete fulfillment in our lives is going to come with a mate, is what we believe. Find the right person. That's the water our culture swims in. And if you haven't got the right person, well, then you, you trade that person in for another person because we believe that bliss hinges on finding the right person. I will finally be happy when I find this person. And so let's bring our questions about all this to wisdom this morning, to the wisdom literature of the scriptures, the sages of Israel, um, divine wisdom. Um, so we're going to start with a, uh, a proverb, this is where we're going to camp out, one proverb. Uh, and it sounds like it's addressing, I'm, I'm aware, it sounds like it's addressing just the male gender. I'm aware of this. Um, but the further we go, um, we're going to realize that the sages of Israel um, are actually guiding all of us into divine wisdom with this. And so you can go ahead and throw it up here on the screen. Um, and this is actually a translation of a, um, of a Jewish scholar named Robert Alter. Um, it's a, the most beautiful literary translation of the, um, of the Hebrew scriptures that you can find. So that's where this is. Um, uh, it's Proverbs 12, uh, 4. A worthy woman is her husband's crown but like rot in his bones, a shameful wife. Or it's literally just a shameful one. 
the ashamer is literally what it says. Um, last week, we talked about uh, wisdom in general from the Proverbs, um, that humility is actually where wisdom starts. The fear of the Lord is where it starts. It's, uh, it's um, the willingness to be directed by another person, to say, I don't know where I'm going. I need direction in my life. That is the starting place for being able to receive wisdom at all. And we said, if you were here last week, we said that the Proverbs are actually constructed in such a way that um, they cultivate wisdom within us. The Proverbs are micro-poems consisting of two lines most of the time. And most of the time there is tension. There's some sort of difference between these two lines. And that difference, the space between these lines, is what we are invited to, um, to think about, to meditate on, um, how they relate to each other. It's the, that curious gap is what we called it last week. That is the space where um, the portal forms, the magic is happening in that space. And so I want to explore that space this morning with um, that proverb. Um, and we're going to, uh, yeah, we're, we're going to work our way into it right now. Uh, no, no, you're good. Yeah, you can put it right back up on the screen. This proverb between these two lines is actually contrasting two things. The contrast occurring is between an eshet chayel is what it is, a worthy woman, a woman of valor is what one scholar calls it a warrior woman is what this it's a, it's actually if any of you are familiar with the very end of the book of proverbs there's like this long poem that is exalting the shit the oops the shit hael i can't it, it's this really important thing in judaism and i can't say it quickly otherwise that happens um <laughs> It's a, and the, the book of Proverbs ends with this stylized portrait of this woman that's like hardworking. She's like giving to the poor. She's strong and yet also tender. The, the poem at the end of Proverbs actually opens by saying that she brings to her husband good and not harm. She, uh, it, the poem ends, it winds down in verse 26 of chapter 31 by saying that she opens her mouth and chokhmah, wisdom, is found on it. And Torah said, the law of love is on her tongue. It's like this woman at the end of the book of Proverbs is an embodiment of the woman at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom, embodied in chapters 1 through 9 of the book of Proverbs. And this woman is contrasted with a shamer. A shamer. That's it. Just a shamer. And we all know, we've all been in this kind of relationship, haven't we? It may not have been like a romantic relationship of some sort, but it's somebody that brings us shame, somebody that talks down to us, somebody who makes us feel less than, somebody who behaves in a disgraceful way. What is this like, the difference between these two? Well, it's the difference between crown, a crown on your head versus rot is what it is. That's the difference. This might is probably playing off the Jewish tradition that was uh, at, the, at the time of uh, grooms wearing some sort of crown on their wedding day. The woman has a veil and the man has a, a crown. Um, but it's contrasted, the crown is contrasted with something 
ghastly, something horrible, rotting bones, bones with dry rot. That's just like, are these equal and opposite good and bad? They are not. They are not. Because like on a, on a good scale, a public honor, a ah, crown on my head, sure. That's like a six or a seven. Yay, Brett, that's a good, well, okay, I'm six or seven. But like on a bad scale, Rotting bones is a 10 out of 10. That's disaster, you know? So what we've really got contrasted here in this Proverbs is a public honor versus a private horror is what we have contrasted here in the space between these. One is public and it's an honorific, it's great. And the other is horror and only you know it. Only you know it. And this, in this comparison, the bad, the potential for bad, far outweighs the possibility of good here, doesn't it? It's like, oh man, this could really go sideways. The honor could be fantastic, without a doubt, but the, the horror could be fatal. It could be just disaster. And so what we're really comparing is, some, is something desirable versus something disabling, is what we're talking about here. We should be aware that relationships have a profound ability to lift us up and they also have a, they are potentially disabling in our lives. The first thing we, we need to realize about our longing for true love <laughs> and our desire for love is that our relationships are a matter of life and death. We don't think about it that often like that very much, but they are. They are a matter of life and death. Relationships can give us life or they can also bring us death. And when they go bad, they can go really bad. They can go really bad um, it, to the place where in the words of one scholar, we feel like we are being deconstructed from within is what one's called, like we're losing ourselves, like we're wasting away. There was this time in my life about 10 years ago where I was in such a painful relationship. I mean, it was a bad one um, by the end of it that it was affecting my health. I was, uh, I was doing this data entry job and um, I had profound fatigue, like I would go into my car and sleep on my breaks. Um, I had muscle spasms. I could watch um, my muscles around my body like tremble. Um, I had joint pain. I had packs of zip, like Ziploc bags full of ice on some of my joints because I was hurting so badly. Um, I had literal bone pain. Like I could, I still remember vividly, I could squeeze right here on my bone and it would hurt. And so after running some blood work, it turned out that like sustained stress had drained my body of like some key vitamins, particularly B12 and vitamin D. I've gotten some nods around the room that you guys, but it took them like forever to figure this out. It's so strange. Um, I'm, and I guess in hindsight, I'm really grateful that um, this relationship ended because it turns out it's not true love if it's killing you. It's not true love if it's... Someone in, in a, and someone in the room needs to hear this this morning. If he is abusing you, if, he, if she continually shames you, if the fights are the rule and not the exception, if your life feels like it is deconstructing from within, that's not the way relationships are supposed to be. 
That's not true love. That's not what true, true love looks like. And on the far side of um, this relationship that I had, I started doing a whole lot of praying about like the path towards true love. Like what, I really want true love. I, I was thinking, I really want a family. Um, and so in particular, I started thinking a whole lot, I mean, just a lot about true love in light of the cross is what I started thinking. Like the cross after all is the place where Christians confess that God made human was showing us what true love looks like. Jesus himself said it this way. He said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life life for one's friends. And so you want to know what true love looks like? Well, it looks like giving our lives over. It looks like giving our lives up is what it looks like. It look, for the good of the other person. That's what, the, that's what I do for them, and that's what they do for me. And so I was trying to practice this as um, that relationship ended, and um, my practice near the end of this relationship just ended up feeling like a crucifixion is what it ended up feeling like. I mean, I was giving myself over again and again and again for this person and it just felt like a bloody murder is what it felt like. And so as I began approaching, but, but I was convinced of it because I'm convinced of Jesus, guys. And so as I approached this new relationship uh, that I have now with my current bride, Joy, um, she, uh, we both agreed early on, like we would have intentional conversations about it as like the foundation of our relationship. What true love looks like is me giving myself up for you and you doing the same for me because this is the essence of what true love is. It's when we make the choice. We have to, like, it's not something that just naturally happens. We have to choose, like, deep in our chooser, deep, deep down in our guts. True love says, I prioritize your good even though it is costly to me. That is, that's what true love looks like. <laughs> Greater love has no one than this. And so, when, when only one person in a relationship does this, it eventually becomes a crucifixion. One person takes and takes, and the other person gives and gives until it costs them everything. But when two people do this, well, then what you see is perpetual resurrection, is what you see. And specifically, for those who are married in the room, the sharing of the cross together ends up becoming the gateway to romance. Is what happened. That's, that's the thing. That it will, it's resurrection and romance. And in some seasons, Joy, my wife, has had to shoulder more of the cross of sacrifice than I have. And in some seasons, I have had to shoulder more of the cross of sacrifice than her. But through all of our eight years of marriage, through like miscarriages and unemployment and confronting really scary questions about our daughter's health and, and the regular like sorting through of like each other's brokenness and baggage because we've all got it. And oh, I've got to sort through that now. And, and it's been continually costly and it's been the best thing in the world. The wisdom that we're learning as the two of us together keep watching Jesus is that it's not true love unless you're laying down your life. 
And at this point, we've actually got something like a proverb on our hands, don't we? Because both of these things are true at the same time. You can go ahead and throw the next one up there. It's not true if it's killing you. It's not, it's not true love if it's killing you. It's not true love unless you're laying down your life. These are the two poles. These are like, the, both of these statements are true and wisdom is discovered in the space between these. We have to live into this space because if that relationship is killing you, if that person is killing you and like you've told them, you've communicated it to them again and again and they know it and they keep killing you, I'm here to tell you that is not love. But at the exact same time, if you are frustrated with a relationship because the excitement has faded, the honeymoon's over, and there's a whole lot of like routine in life right now. Things are a bit boring. Personality differences between you that you once found like really mysterious and charming, but now they're just really grating and annoying. And, and maybe they have surprised you with things that you didn't know early on. And now there's like a whole lot of complicated stuff to work through. And it may take a lifetime to work through it. And the relationship is costing you so much. Oh, it's costing so much. That actually isn't the place to bail. That's if you have somebody with you that is willing to do the work and is wanting to give themselves over, that is the only soil where true love grows. <laughs> it's not the time to bail, it's the time to dig in. and say, but It's the place where love, you are not far from the kingdom. You are close to discovering, to finding true love. We should say it this way. We lose perpetual romance to find a true love. We lose perpetual pleasure to find a true happiness. We lose, it's like Jesus said, we lose our lives to find them. If you spend your whole life chasing your own pleasure, like the next hit, the next big excitement, the next rush of romance, how can I act like, how can I always and perpetually feel fulfilled? If you spend your life hunting pleasure, you're going to be miserable. I'm just here to tell you. Most societies in history have actually recognized this. In the ancient Near East, where these proverbs originated from, like most marriages were not about private romance or about individual fulfillment. Instead, marriage was actually about something more important than that. Marriage, marriage was like the, the skeleton of society. It was like the solemn and sacred bones on which everything else was built. Marriage created like family tribes and it generated children and it, it kept the human race going. That's like a good thing. And then it, it actually steered politics and it connected tribes of people and it stabilized economies. And I'm not holding these marriages up as like a model for us. It was broken then, but it, it had tremendous problems. But most people in those marriages recognize that there are more important things at stake in life than my own individual pleasure or fulfillment or happiness or romance. Most of our hunt, 
what we call our hunt for true love that will finally complete me and fulfill me is actually like a really first world modern problem that we have. And the apostle John, reflecting on Jesus's words about greater love, he wrote about what you want true love. He tells us as a community, a community like us, he says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So most of the time, when we ask, how do I find true love? What we're really asking is, how do I be like Ariel or Aladdin or freaking Simba? I just want some Disney romance. I want to find someone attractive and feel fulfilled. But when we ask the question, how do I find true love and bring it to the wisdom of Scripture the wisdom of the Christian tradition answers back, here's how. You can be like Jesus. Lay down your life for the sake of another. And the, the, the funny thing is that the very modern Disney movies are actually catching up with this wisdom, whether they realize it or not, because Flynn Rider chooses death for the good of Rapunzel. Anna lays down her life for the sake of her sister. Raya, in the dragon, they, turns to stone to make her enemies her friends. It took a while, but Disney's actually inadvertently catching up with the wisdom of the gospel, with true love that often doesn't feel sexy. True love asks, how do I daily lay down my life for your good? Your good. Not like in the abstract. We don't get to love humanity. We get to love that person. This person right here in front of me with all their flaws. And the brilliant thing about, the Christian, about Christian wisdom is you are not missing out on true love if you're not married. The life of true love is actually open to everyone, to fathers, to mothers, to children, to spouses, to singles, to young and old. No matter who you are, you can taste true love. True love is not about me being fulfilled or even me finding a mate. Bliss doesn't automatically come with a mate. There are a whole lot of miserable married people out there. Bliss only comes when you live for the good of your mate. That's the secret sauce. It's not a wedding ceremony that's the secret sauce. It's the living for another that's the secret sauce. Jesus, the most fully alive person in human history. The only person that was so alive with love that death wouldn't take. The greatest lover in history was completely celibate. Was complete. And yet, greater love has never lived. And since the inception of the church, the Christian tradition has recognized Jesus is actually the embodiment of wisdom. That lady wisdom who created the world back at the beginning of Proverbs, that's Jesus. 
is what the Christian tradition, the wisdom in Proverbs 1 through 9, who invites everyone to come to me and find life. That's Jesus. That picture of the Eshet did it again. That warrior woman who works so hard, who provides for her loved ones, who sees the needy and cares for them. Like, that's not a checklist for any woman in the room or for any person in the room. That's a picture of Jesus that we got there. Embodiment of wisdom. He's the one who is strong and tender with you. He's the one whose mouth opens and you find wisdom in his mouth and the law of love on his tongue. Jesus is the one who never shames you, but is always working for your good and not for your harm. That's a picture of Jesus and the gospel The good news this morning that we're about to receive at the table is that true love has already found you. You're invited to to believe that. You are loved already, always, right now, even when it doesn't feel like it. And you are invited to keep staring at that love, this love that we are about to taste in bread broken and cup poured out. You're invited to lose your life in this love and then practice laying down your life for, for your you, for the person in your life. And as we do that, that's how you find true love. Lord Jesus, we um, gaze at you. We keep looking at you and we say, we want to be like you. We don't wanna be enamored with um, idols of what true love looks like. We don't want to be enamored with the idol, the, with idolatry of sex or idolatry of even marriage. We want to be like you in this world, full to the brim, bursting at the seams with self-giving, enemy-embracing, co-suffering, radically forgiving love. And so we say in this moment, that picture captivates us. Fill us up with it. Fill us up with it in these moments. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.